I'm Sean Bowles, and I want to welcome you to Exploring the Prophetic Podcast. I have a passion for how the prophetic gifts can change the world around us. They make simple, everyday people like you and I a catalyst for life-changing experiences with the supernatural. On this podcast, I have friends from all different backgrounds who each have a powerful story to tell about how the prophetic is shaping their world. I invite you to be part of the conversation. This is Exploring the Prophetic. Today on Exploring the Prophetic, we have one of my close friends, Bob Hassan, who's a businessman and a leadership consultant who's helped our world in an incredible way. And one of the ways he's helped our world is he's taken the mandates, the big things of God, and helped us to simplify and practically assimilate those things into our world. And he's so good at, he calls himself a risk or fear manager. He's so good at helping you assess the risks you need to take. And instead of just telling you it's too much, he's, he's good at telling you it's worth it but also giving you wisdom and guidance and advice. And so he has incredible stories. He wrote a book not too long ago with Danny Silk called The, the Business of Honor based on the best-selling book, The Culture of Honor. And it's just been an amazing phenomenon and amongst business people who are learning how to apply the culture of honor and really having identity as fathers and mothers in the business industry through this book and through Bob's life. And Bob's done about five or six business uh, lunches with us uh, in 2019. It was really amazing, the fruit we had having business leaders gather from around the world and talk to him about hearing God's voice for your business because that's how Bob's run his very, very successful uh, painting contracting business. They're just finishing up on the stadium in Los Angeles. They've painted LAX, lots of other large hotels and buildings. So he understands what it's like to manage thousands of people and huge projects, but he also understands what it's like to hear God when it counts the most. So I'm excited about our podcast today because we get to hear from Bob and very intimately from his journey and his story. Stay tuned, we have a few offers for you first. I have a brand new show on the CBN Network called Exploring the Industry, which is all about the entertainment industry. We're gonna be talking to Christians who have a career in one of the entertainment industries in film, television, fashion, music, any of these industries, including sports and video games. And we're gonna be asking them questions about how their faith is impacting their industry and also how their mature journey with Christ is affecting their world and the world around them. So come join the conversation. You can watch it on CBN Network on their primetime lineup on both Saturdays and Sunday nights. And you can watch it on YouTube for an extended interview and extended clips. I'm here with Bob Hassan, one of my good friends who wrote The Business of Honor. And Bob and I are gonna talk about just, and hopefully unpack to you some of the things that are inside of Bob and your perspective as a businessman, as a business leader, but also as a friend and we're doing these events together coming up and we're also uh, just in relationship and partnership in some ways that's really unique. You've taught me so much and I wanna give that away to everybody I'm around. And so let's start out this conversation. Welcome. Thank you. Um, before Bob uh, wrote this book, which is The Business of Honor with Danny Silk, uh, before that you were already coaching people and you were already on a journey of really helping a lot of foundational decisions to be made in organizations, both church organizations, mainly business organizations, and more recently, you've come on board and helped Sheree and I in some, some pretty profound ways. And I, I think it's interesting because I've read, of course, the book. And uh, I have some questions, lots of questions. Mm -hmm. But I also just thought about, like, in the time we've been kind of working together in some different ways, one of the main things I think that you bring isn't just honor. I think honor is what the book's about, but it's more culture. And I, I just, you know, if I defined what you impart or what you bring is you help people to define their inner and outer culture. So inwardly, they have to go on a journey, but outwardly in an organization, they also have to go on a journey where their mission statement and what's on the boards, all those little, all the beautiful inspirational things we have in our companies everywhere, 
actually becomes part of the foundation and fabric of who we are versus just nice things. And I love that in the book. In the first chapter, you contrasted Guinness and Enron and how one was a legacy company and one was really greedy, but they had all the right stuff. They had the right mission statement, they had the right values, they had the right everything, but they didn't actually live it out. They were just motivated by something else. So you've been on this journey and I uh, just want to say, come on guys, have a conversation with us. You've been on this journey for a while. So here's my, here's my first question. <laughs> How do you define just this thing of honor and culture that you impart, that you bring to the table? Well, I found that for me, hopefully this has gotten through and us working together, is that I define honor as what God sees in people. Yeah. God sees people in a certain way. And so I think I try to find see people that same way. So it really starts too with yourself. So there's like almost learning how to take on God's honor. For yourself and seeing yourself kind of i teach at the end of the race with the trophy in your hand mm-hmm. but then also the way you work with other people you have to see them in their fullness you have to see you're borrowing faith basically that's interesting because you know i i dealt with shame so much in my life yeah that i'm not sure that i honored myself i know that i honored people above me mm. and so you know as i as i worked through all these issues of shame in my life and came to the point you know, five, six, seven years ago, really realizing that I was a love child of God, then the honoring thing seemed to, I, I seemed to understand it more. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's interesting because one of the things you go through in this book and one of the things you talk about a lot is just that core message of identity because you've gone through so much of that identity mm-hmm. yourself. And I'm thinking about how you told the story of your Uncle Lou. Yeah. And let's talk about Uncle Lou for a minute because your dad wasn't uh, a visible example as a father figure in some ways. He had a lot of anger issues and a lot yeah. of you share that really vulnerably. Right. But your Uncle Lou became kind of a picture of a man to you. Mm-hmm. And so, like, let's, I mean, there's the waterbed story you don't have to tell, but there's some stories that are, like, key and how he became a symbol to you. Yeah, I, you know, growing up, I always um, idolized him. He was sort of bigger than life. Yeah. And uh, he was a corporate lawyer, and he drove a Cadillac, and he always had this money clip with my dad bills. So, and so I just wanted to be like him. Yeah. And, and it was, uh, it was, it was super fun and he you know i'd go down in summers and work in his law office and he'd pay me i don't know two bucks an hour <laughs> and, <laughs> like you're going and, is this on your dad's side or your mom's my side? my mom's side okay. and and so but i just spent time with him and he and he invested in me right he he loved me yeah. and and as i grew up and became a young adult got married and went into business he just naturally poured into me yeah which is your first real example. So, so Uncle Lou became kind of an example of stability and of, of somebody who poured in these mm-hmm. kinds of themes that you do now. In, in that season of life, I mean, you were, you, that was when you first had, like your first painting contract was because of Uncle Lou, right? Yeah, pretty much. He, you know, I, I painted for all the lawyers around San yeah. Diego. There's a couple of funny stories. The first time I bought my airless sprayer, um, he took me, he had to co-sign for the $1,500 loan to buy it. We strapped in the back of his Cadillac oh <laughs> with the hood open oh you know, and drove home. That's amazing. Uh, and, you know, and then later when I was getting my first credit line, um, I was super nervous. Uh, Wells Fargo was going to come to the office. And I asked him, can you come? Can you come and you know help me out yeah. with this thing? And he, so he came. And these young bankers walked in and they looked around at the office. And they were like, oh, this is a great office. And, and Lou said to him, you know, you two look like smart guys. And... And they said, oh, thank you. And he said, what I want to know is, why would you even consider loaning Bob? Oh, my God. <laughs> and I said, oh, my God. Why are you here? And, and, and they started laughing. 
and he broke the ice and talked to him about you know here's all the financials and we got the loan wow you know i i I still don't know if he co-signed for it or not i have to ask him (laughs) that would be a good question but it was just i just learned from him how to honor he's a jewish man yeah and i i watched him honor people without using those kind of words yeah use a sense of humor do what he said he was going to do is yes is yes is no is no and uh so so that's how i that's how i learned so you have your paint company going on. It was a struggle. Like you, it was a struggle when you first started. And at one point you were like secretly harboring the fact that you could go bankrupt, that you had some contractors that mm-hmm. couldn't pay you mm-hmm. and you were married, young married, you know, mm-hmm. man, and you have Lauren and you guys are going through, you're hiding this from her, trying to figure out how do I manage this? And she's going to leave me. Like that's where you described you were at. What happened? Like, what was the big. Because I think a lot of people, when we deal with, like now you're successful, so a lot of people can see if they know your, if they looked at your your net worth and who you are and your painting company, one of the top painting companies in the West Coast, the whole thing, you're, you're painting the stadium right now. Those those are crazy, crazy fruits. Mm-hmm. But when you you were in your beginning, you had like this these moments of like where you almost defaulted to that, like all those places of the spiral of shame, right. the spiral. Let's talk about that a little bit. Right, and so the shame, um, I mean, that that's the thing that, when I was young, um, I, I wanted to please, but I wanted to please. And, you know, in the late eighties, there was a real estate, um, there was a real estate crisis and, you know, lots of people were losing their jobs yeah. and wives were leaving their husbands, friends of mine were. Wow. Um, and so at this point, these contractors went bankrupt and I, half of our, half of our annual sales became uncollectible. Oh, wow. And so I, you know, because of shame, I went into myself and said, I have to figure out, I gotta, I've gotta, I've gotta figure this out before I can go talk to Lauren. Yeah. Well, this was, this was something that I couldn't figure out. Yeah. And, you know, after let's say 30 days, you know, Lauren finally said to me, Hey honey, I am really concerned about you. What is going on? When I told her, she <laughs> had this big sigh of relief and she says, Oh, I, I thought our marriage is in trouble. Oh wow. And I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I know. And by bringing my best friend into the struggle that I was in, she had all these ideas about how to, you know, yeah. work out of it. And it, and she said, it was so sweet. I mean, it makes me want to cry even right now. She said, even if we go bankrupt, we still have each other, right? Oh, I love that. And, and I just thought that gave me so much strength yeah. in here to go out and then fight the battle. And, and we well, did. And I think of the people who, you know, like in Japan, there's a high suicide rate among executive level people where they literally just go to the top of their building and kill themselves and they get a financial crisis because they feel that alone. And in America, it's more of an inward death. Like people just stop connecting. Mm-hmm. They stop living when they go through seasons of trauma or seasons of crisis. And one of the things I really love about what you're building for the foundation up is you're, you're including God in a very specific way. Where it's like, you know, if, you, if you're going to have this this place of safety built where you can have a team and you can, you can build this culture. You have to be vulnerable and you have to get to know yourself. And so what were some of the areas that you were having to, to, to kind of overcome in that season? Cause I know we obviously had your dad stuff that you refer to a lot in the book. And then we have, there was even some alcohol. There was some, yeah, there was hiding, there was shame. Well, right around the time you were talking about my alcohol use just went out of control. Sure. Because I, Obviously, I, I couldn't control what was happening at work. I didn't want to talk to Lauren. I was isolated. I didn't want to talk to friends. 
So I was, I was, you know, getting up at three in the morning and going to work and drinking a pot of coffee and then drinking beer in the afternoon. Totally. And it just, this cycle happened. You know, I ended up, you know, going to outpatient and I haven't drank in 24 years. Yeah, yes. that's awesome. Isn't that awesome? So, yeah. but what was the question? Uh, <laughs> so I'm asking you basically what were some of the areas that spiraled out just because we wanted to see those, but also those were the coping mechanisms. How did those get resolved? Like you took us on that journey. How did those things start to get resolved? So I, I've always, I, I, the Lord found me when I was 18 and I've always included him in my life. And hopefully what you see, I am the same at work, at church, at home. Hopefully you see a non-compartmentalized life. Yeah. And so I always brought God in to work with me. Yeah. I always included him in my strategic business plans. You know, to God be the glory, going to the bank. So, so the, the, the introduction of God into my business was, was right from the beginning. And as the problems and the issues and the company got bigger and bigger and bigger, I had to rely more and more on him. Obviously, the example we were just talking about, I didn't, didn't do too good of a job. <laughs> but eventually, once yeah. Lauren talked to me, I did. I brought yeah. right back in and was bathed in prayer. So, so for me, someone was just mentioning to me about the Elijah seat. Right. Mm -hmm. That was, that's where, what God was for me. He was in my office with me, you know, in my van when I was painting, he was on the job. He was pretty much everywhere. And we can argue, is God your partner or is God the boss? Yeah. You know, I, we, we could argue about that. I've heard people say all these different things, but at the end of the day, I am walking with God in my business and I'm not compartmentalized and I'm inviting him into decisions. And this is interesting because you're not, you wouldn't, you hung out with a lot of prophet type people throughout yes. your life. You've just had all these friends and you up until more recently, five or seven years, looked at yourself as the one who was like the least prophetic or you're not a feeler. You're not feeling everything that's going on in your life, but you've actually lived the way that the prophetic people around you would have, would have, what you perceive they lived at. That's the way you were including God because being prophetic isn't always about the amount of gifting you have. It's the amount of partnership you have with God. Cause I know a lot of gifted prophetic people who don't actually partner to God. They just have a lot of encounters. Mm -hmm. But I loved how you opened yourself up and kept God on your team, so to speak, as far as he's the Lord of your life. I, I'm the same. I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes you partner with me, but sometimes you feel like the Lord. Sometimes you feel like the boss. I don't know. Like I, mm -hmm. You're more than my CEO. I know that. Right. <laughs> you're everything. You know. Right. But you've since day one, you've, you've included him. So you've had these stories, these moments where he came through in a way, because I feel like a lot of people use excuses like, I'm not the prophetic one or I don't hear from God. <laughs> and you had those excuses, yeah, but you I included did. him as though you did. So yeah. consistently, you trusted your own ability to hear from God because he saved you out of so much, so many times. I, yeah, I've been saved out of so many practical things. <laughs> and, you know, just, just recently, I mean, and you've helped so much in all the books that you've written. And, you know, as I listen to you and see you at conferences and as you prophesied over us, you know, I've reframed it because this is your message is hearing God. So for me, maybe I can't grab onto the prophetic. Yeah. But I can grab I can grab onto hearing God. Yeah. And so as I begin to relax into that, oh, hearing God. I I do I hear God. Yeah. And and I I've heard God for this and this and this and these practical things. And I feel these things because I think I got a stigma around the prophetic. And I think a lot of people do that, you know, like when your gift is on display, it is amazing. Mm. Right? It's I know even you're amazed. Yeah. And so when I see that I say, I, yeah, I feel weird saying you just yeah. Well, I mean, like, it's like, I'm, I'm always amazed when there's, there's levels of God, but there's that daily leading that you were talking about that. Like when, when it comes to the gift aside, mm -hmm. there's the walk with God. Mm -hmm. 
And of course, my prophetic gift helps me. Mm-hmm. But there's those moments, and you've been with Sheree and I, where we have to make some decisions. Mm-hmm. Where it's like the same way you're making decisions with God. It's that internal voice of God. It's the trust. It's right. the faith. And so, no matter how much gifting you have, you can't. That won't be. That won't excuse you from the big challenges of making decisions with employees True. or making decisions with True. finances. And it's still you might get led by God in a sovereign way, really strongly a few times. But then, other than that, you you have the daily, which is just like marriage just to give those moments those mm-hmm. high points but then other than that you have to work at it and develop it otherwise it doesn't happen so i just say that in the sense of like i think you've been around me now where you've seen the normal side enough too so we see the times when god shows up and then there's the times when i'm having to just press into my relationship i've seen you in these situations where you're having to trust what god has put in you is going to come out mm-hmm. uh, in practical decisions and hard decisions yeah and Hopefully what you're seeing with me in these things is is a anxiety reducing ability to walk through hard decisions yeah. and make them with with the help of the Lord. Yeah. Even though we're not saying, Oh Lord, help us. No, it, I mean you're inherently fathering into who you are and uh and nurturing and I think you model that like Uncle Lou did for you. Mm. You model because you 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 walk with people in a real way. We talk about you know the business of honor. You create that atmosphere of honor. And one of the, the words I like that you've used both at some of the events we've done together, but also in the book, is an ecosystem. That all business is an ecosystem, yeah. and you're having to manage the ecosystem and the culture of that. And I think of like, you know, we have a garden, and your wife has a garden, my wife has a garden, and there's so much to manage. You have to get the right soil blend. You have to get the right, you know, the right watering. Who knew, Who knew that would be married <laughs> to gardeners? I know they become best friends. Who knew? But uh, there's all these like the components that go into it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like she buys the dirt and it's not the right dirt, so she has to recondition it, mm-hmm. and she's devastated. It creates that place of trauma. Well, I feel like you do that with with businesses and business leaders to help them to understand, like when there's that anxiety, my wife's the dirt's freaking out. I'm going online to look at how to condition soil. We figure it out. It turns out perfect, you mm-hmm. know. You do that in, for other leaders is, is that you help them to see, we just need some conditioner. So so conditioner, but hopefully what, what's happening is is you and other people that I consult with, trust me, because I've been vulnerable enough to say, I've been through this, I've yeah. been through this, I've been through that. I've made more mistakes than you have, and I'm willing to talk about it. <laughs> that was actually very comforting. One of the big areas we had, we made a mistake and it lost this much money in our business side of things, and we're like, huh. Ah. Like, oh, that's nothing. You guys are fine. Like, let me tell you my story. Yeah. And you told us a story that was a big loss, not just a big win, mm-hmm. which I think is really helpful because I feel like in Christianity, we're always looking at the big wins and we celebrate and almost idolize them versus the process of mm-hmm. walking with God. And I really, I think there was a part in the book where you talked about, and there's a part of how you talked in general where the win's not just a financial win in business. There's a relational win. There's a God win. Mm-hmm. And it's it sets goals differently. Of course, there has to be a financial win at some point. That's part of what we're doing is in business. We're trying to create resource. But that can't be the, the primary goal setting. And that goes back to the ecosystem. Talk about ecosystem for a minute. Well, I mean, okay. So you have a team right now that you love working with. Mm-hmm. How fun is it to go to work? Very, it's great. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Right? So, so this ecosystem that you built through trial and error, through making mistakes, uh, you've you've built this ecosystem, and I think that in any business, whether you're you're a CEO, you're a team leader, you're a director, wherever you are, you you want to create a place where you want to work. Yeah, that, where you feel comfortable coming in, where you feel comfortable saying, "Guys, I was up at four o'clock this morning worrying about this. Can we put this on the table and discuss it?" Yeah, I know you guys have it. I know you guys have it covered, but I just have some thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. A place where where you have this synergy yeah. that 
of, of well, and that goes into I think like one is that you broke down for a lot of people, not just us, is that the independent nature versus the team player nature. Yeah, where you you teach a lot on team, including people, and there's no wrong answers. You want to hear feedback and input, which is really you really do. Like I you're do. not just doing it like as a nice leader. Like I feel like some people are patronizing when they do it. It's like everybody puts something on the table. That's nice. He already knows what he wants to do and goes forward and does. Does that? I feel like a lot of leaders are like that, and I think people know that i do i do too and like you've really put it out there where they won't have they'll just be subservient peons if you don't give them a voice and empowerment to grow and then they start to bring ideas to the table and you actually care about that with your company and even with our company how we've grown it's really interesting to watch because then people who would do their process they might have strong leadership but they'll do it very independently mm-hmm. who might dislodge in three or four years because they've never really been part of the team or the, they're just doing a job and we they see become part people. of the family we see those people who dislodge and we say, okay, they're alone. They're not submitted. They're not accountable. Yeah. They're alone. Three weeks ago, we had we had this issue happen at work. We were in the round table at the at the operations meeting. I said, I think we need to do this. Yeah. And someone literally said, Bob, you're wrong. <laughs> wow. And and then they explained why. And I sat back and then other people explained why. And I was like, How how cool is that? Like yeah. my job is done. That's amazing. Right? They and th- and they were right, yeah. And I hadn't considered the things that they considered. And I yeah. I thought this is like this. Let's go to breakfast. This is the best operations meeting I've had in a long time. Yeah. And I think I, I hear that. And then I also like I'm learning how to apply it. I'm learning how to apply it in my own in my own world. There is that thing though. Like I mean, I've been a pastor and a ministry leader for so long, yeah. and we're doing a business too. So there's that thing though. Where and you said a few things about it. Where it's like, yes, I'm a spiritual father, but ultimately, like you're you're also an employer. And there's HR, there's, there's lines, there's, there's things you can't speak into your employees about. There's things that they don't want you to speak in their life about. There's, you know, as a pastor, I've, I free reign of, okay, let's have a chat. Let's yeah. go deep. And, the, and it's different. And, and I even think of that, like, ultimately you're going to make a decision. Even if that person, if you had to tell them, thank you for your opinion, I actually got to go forward because ultimately the successful player of the company is yes. on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. The buck stops with you. So how do you deal with that tension of like, I'm spiritually a father or mother, but I also have to run an organization. And that one, I don't get yet fully. Like I'm still okay. learning. So it's so funny because Danny and I wrestled with this the yeah. whole, the whole uh, time we were getting this put, put together. And he said, you absolutely are a father and mother. And I was like, no, because, uh, you know, you, you can't fire your family yeah. at work. You can fire, you fire yeah. people. But what the Lord showed me and was that if I, as an employer or a leader, and bent towards the father, mm-hmm. then people are going to see the father through me. Doesn't mean I have to have fathering language towards them. Yeah, but they're going to see the father through me, and I could, I could finally say, okay, I, I can relate to that. You could be a father and just have that culture mm-hmm. inside of you. And the culture that I'm, the culture that I'm them. building, is one that's, if you will, father centric. Yeah. I do have people who talk to me like a pastor. Yeah, um, but I. My team has been working together for 15 years and over. Yeah. And so no, and I think of that because one of that, one of the transformation ministries I'm involved with says, wherever you go, you're, you're the pastor of that environment. So they tell it to businessmen. And I'm like, the only problem when you deal with that yeah. is that if you have an employee who blows out or you have a contract that blows out, the person's evil and they're suing you or whatever. It's like, it's, those are different dynamics than the local church. Yeah. Local churches don't have employees blow out and trying to collect unemployment or a contract that blows out and the guy, to sue them for the problem that's very that would be very uncommon local churches may have one lawsuit in their entire existence right whereas businesses have legal actions and hr actions and different types of actions all mm-hmm. the time and so you're so 
you could say I want I want a default to relationship, but that has to go both ways. There has to be covenant for that to happen. And we're not dealing with like covenant relationships that we're dealing with a covenant God and a covenant purpose. Right. And so that's the part I think is like kind of messy for a lot of people is where they're going, I want to apply the culture of honor. I want to be relational, but I also have to be a boss mm-hmm. and I have to be a leader and I have to be, you know, or I have to, I have to be under a boss or whatever it is. So people say, have said to me in the past, are you a Christian businessman? And I say, no, I'm a businessman who happens to be a Christian. That's good. And, and I mean, I think there's, I think there's a line. I think that when we don't want to compartmentalize, we do want to keep our faith and all the things that the tenets of our faith that we hold, but we're operating a business and we yeah. have to operate it under the laws of Caesar. If you yeah, will. that's so true. So if people want to take another step in relationship, that, that isn't your obligation, but is your privilege. Mm, that's really good. That's really good. How do you deal with entitlement within companies? Like when somebody feels entitled to a project compensation or somebody feels entitled to more pay or somebody feels entitled to own part of the business or someone feels, I've had that a couple of times when I used to work in the video game industry, that was one of the main things we dealt with because it was such a new industry that an artist would start doing storyboards and say, well, I should get royalties on the entire art of the game. But there was no structure for that in the whole industry. I was working for Universal, so it was one of the biggest companies. But I feel like this generation breeds a lot of like, people don't know how to evaluate their worth mm-hmm. and their value. And so they just come up with ideas. Like, I, sh- I feel like if I'm working this way, I should get this kind of compensation off, or I should get this, or you should give me this kind of promotion. I have leadership in my life, so I should be a manager in this area. How do you deal with that kind of thing in a right way? Well, I'm, I'm actually writing a new book about that. Oh, wow. Very thing. Come on. And I, so I'm very passionate about what you just said. And I think that work ethic is a huge, a huge thing, and character is a huge thing. And a lot of people in this age don't understand work ethic and character. And so there are dues that have to be paid. And I know that sounds old fashioned, but when you graduate with a degree and you go get your first job, you are going to be working 60 hours or 70 hours a week. You're probably going to be working for a company that doesn't have a social justice cause. (laughs) Um, You you could go to work for a nonprofit. You could go to work for a nonprofit. You could go to work for a church. You could go to work for Tom's, um, yeah. you know, giving or, or Patagonia, not Amazon anymore, but they used to have social justice. Yeah. And so if you don't do that, then how are you going to stay passionate about um, what God's called you to do as work versus whatever your social justice passion is? And my answer is, listen, you have 40 hours a week after work yeah. um, to, to follow your passion. And, and I think that this entitlement is is an interesting thing and i think if we focus on what our character is and and our work ethic then all the things that you mentioned will come it's a process Mm -hmm. and it takes time yeah you didn't have these fantastic words from the lord 30 years ago god was training you you say it all the time i just went out and prayed for everybody i got the church directory and started having words for people i mean you you practice your dues in. Yeah. I was like over a thousand people a year just to try. Just to try <laughs> I know, to it's unbelievable. That's not even a joke. I mean, for I real. know. I, I do think I think that's interesting because I feel like you know I was reading this one book from this sociologist and he said that you know there's a generation of leaders. We we've had a non-war generation, so there's a generation of leaders who would manifest after wars, and the soldiers would come home from battle knowing they 
probably would never have a very successful life when they got home with their children. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of lived in PTSD and all kinds of stuff that, that was undefined at the time, mm-hmm. alcoholism, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a lot of them that came as a cream of the crop up in society. But man, they made way for a whole generation of people too. And then it would happen, like cycle would happen again. And one of the things a sociologist said is that because there has been no threat against our nation in a real way for so long, that people are free to explore dreams. People are free to explore ideas in a way that there hasn't, there's no pressure to be urgent about safety and security. And it was just really interesting because I feel like that's part of God's plan, but unredeemed, if you don't have a walk with God for that place of freedom to steward that, it turns into ego and it turns into entitlement. It turns into all these things. So he was he was saying that in a roundabout way. He wasn't a Christian, but he was saying that in a roundabout way. If we don't have guiding principles of what we're going to do with our freedom, then we're going to mismanage it. Mm-hmm. And that he said we have a whole generation that's mismanaging their freedom and they don't even know that there's, you know, there's, there's only 200,000 millionaires in the entire U.S. There's 350 whatever million people, but there's 200,000 200, millionaires. So there's all these young influencers on social media who are like, I'm going to make millions of dollars. And they realize once they've done it for a while, you have hundreds of thousands of followers and you get thousands a month, not tens of thousands a month, even with the huge, millions of followers. You, you, it's not that much anymore. So I'm just saying all that because I feel like part of this is if we teach on people, especially young people, how to manage this place of freedom that we have, there is success to be had in the context of the whole culture of the kingdom, not just in the context of finances and yeah. resources. I, I agree. You know, the notion of prosperity yeah. is not just financial. The Absolutely. notion of the wealth mindset versus the poverty mindset isn't just financial. Mm. And and I have to say, I'm on the board of a church that has 80, 80 staff members, and three of them are over 40. And oh, I'm wow. regularly around these amazing young people who are just doing everything they can to change the world. And I love being around these young people. I know I'm just surrounded by young people who are just yeah. doing it. Yeah, and, so are we, as we are, yeah. I right. Agree. So, so I just want to see people get set free from this, this, I guess it's social media that says, hey, look, I have Lamborghini and I have a private jet. What's well, the old Joneses thing? We keep up with the Joneses. Now yeah, it's but Instagram. it's in your it's face like, every day. It's, it's what pe- the, the, the highlight row of Instagram. Let's go, let's go into a different direction because one of the things that I think you have helped me with is that like you went through a period where, you know, you, instead of lying and running away and defaulting to a lot of things, when you were going through one of your struggles in business, you, you weren't going to be able to pay your contracts. You were, you, you weren't going to be able to buy the supplies, I believe. Mm-hmm. And you just leaned into God, but you also became more of a man. You said, I'm going to go to these, you know, these, these people I have contracts with, I'm going to renegotiate. And I'm going to tell them what I will do for them because I'm going to stay in business and I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing this. And so kind of talk about that. Like, cause I feel like in that, that story, there's insight into, we always have options and alternatives that aren't on the table right now. Like your business school won't teach you that there's other options and alternatives. Yeah, right. And what I love about you is that you think outside the box. So like a lot of people are like, I guess we're done now. Right. We're going to chapter five, chapter 11 or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're going to file. Like I just think of like one of the most successful companies that was a fast start was called loot crate. And they were sending out those boxes of, popular gadgets and stuff to people and, and popular culture stuff. And they grew so fast that their growth killed them, completely killed them. They, right. They're now filing bankruptcy and another mm-hmm. company's trying to buy them. And they've had a default and tell all their subscribers, we don't know when we're going to start giving you back your stuff, but we will make it right for you. Mm-hmm. But, but when you, even when you grow fast, when you get too many contracts, too many things mm-hmm. happen, like we're experiencing that some where we've had some quick growth and all of a sudden cash flow is an issue. <laughs> and your first response was, don't just faith it till you make it. Do something. Like, actually, call your vendors, call your 
right. call your printers, call your people, and negotiate with them and talk to them about where you're at really honestly and vulnerably. And that's scary because, like, you're putting it out there like, we may not be as successful as we think. And we're actually having to put our neck on the line. So, so let's talk about that stuff. Well, I think financially, you know, one of the things, even in our personal budgeting and our, our personal finances, if we aren't taking a hard look, a fierce look at it, if we don't know what our take-home income is and our take-home expenses are, and then we don't know why our credit card debt keeps growing. Yeah. And and so taking a hard look, and, and you mentioned that I renegotiated. I, I had, um, I was in relationship yeah. with my vendors, with my insurance people, with my bank. And so the only thing that I know For real, for do, can I just say this? So like those of you who are watching, if you're a business person and you don't know your banker and you don't know your insurance guy, like you, it's just a phone call. It's not like, it's not like there's mm -hmm. no personal relationship. One thing that I've always had a little bit of, but you have a lot of is huge equity relationally with those people. Yeah. So like when they're too busy, they'll still call me back. And when, you know, when there's a Christmas time, we're trying to give them something like we're just trying to be involved yeah. with yes. them and like know about their kids. You know, like your bankers, I mean, you guys have been on a journey together. You know your bankers' family. You guys have done some trips together. You guys have done like some real stuff. Right. Like you're really involved. Like you took us to your banker and said, hey, we, I want to introduce you to some friends. And it opened up an opportunity. You, were, you Uncle Lou'd us. You opened up an opportunity to us because of a deep relationship. And so I do want to camp there a minute because when you say that, it's not just a power statement. This is like a practical, you and Lauren know the people who are involved the people who are your housekeepers you're deeply invested in their lives yes not just like we have all these people working for us i think we're covenant people yeah right i think that's the way to say it and so as as this uh situation became untenable as i re recognized i'm not going to be able to continue in business the only option i had was to go talk to these people who i owed hundreds of thousands of dollars to and when i when i, I called my paint supplier and had him come in and i said look here's what's happening these people have gone bankrupt. I can't afford to continue to buy paint and pay you on the past yeah. debts. So what I want to do is I'd like to stretch out this. And he looked at me in the eyes before I finished. And he said, this is the first time anybody's called me before there was a problem. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Because I had, there wasn't a problem yet. I hadn't, I, I still was current on terms. Yeah. But I saw what was, and I said, well, I don't know how else to do it. And so... He said, well, what, what do you want to do? And I told him, I'd like to make payments out this much a month on the past debt. And then on the, on the current jobs we have, I'd like you to yeah. uh, partner with me and you get paid monthly on those. And he said, great. Yeah. And I was shocked. I was floored because I thought, and then it went down the line to my insurance agent, to my banker. Yeah. And they all said, just tell us what you'd like to do. We want to partner with you. We want to help you. And the thing I found out then was that when you're in partnership with business, other businesses, they want you to succeed. That's so good. That's they, so true. They want to be in yeah. partnership, but they want you to, and they will do whatever it takes. If we put our head in the sand and we don't return phone calls because there's a problem, if we are, are kind of running away from the problems. Oh, by the time a creditor calls you, it's too late. Too late. You've actually destroyed the relationship. That, that was my yeah. point. Yeah, I just think that that's so beautiful because... I feel like there's people who get in the mentality of they, like it's, it's where you were with the, the negative identity, which is shame, hiding, mm -hmm. disconnecting. But positive identity causes you to go, even though this is a painful and embarrassing phone call to make, I'm going to have to call the creditors before they would ever call me. I'm going to go negotiate I the saw terms. Them. Yeah. And see, one of the things with this society that you alluded to is people don't know their 
they don't it's know a, it's a text it's a no. it's a phone call maybe it's a phone call or it's email i i saw them and i i have to say i was not i didn't shame was running <laughs> was yeah. running rampant i did not know if these people would no. would would Help me. Well, it's interesting because I used to have properties back when I was in Kansas City, a number of uh, rental properties, and I went through a really bad illness back in 2000 yeah. where I almost died. And, and at one point, the, they were Section 8, so those people who were on welfare lived in the housing, and they both defaulted. And so it was like nine months in, and I, I just had no income coming in at all because of being sick. So the banker called, or I called the banker, and he called me back, and uh, he was the vice president of the bank. And he said, Sean, we've done so much here. This is such a little property. I'm going to go ahead and basically foreclose this out if you want me to, but without the foreclosure, we're going to eat your debt. We're taking it away. And he goes, you've done, we still have all these other properties are so successful. We can resell this so fast. I know you're sick. I just want to help you. But it's because we had this hand-holding partnership. So, you know, he called me and when he called me, he said, you know, we have all these relationships on these other properties and this one, it's really easy for us to resell. It's not really your fault. There's nothing you can do, I know, physically. So let us just eat this one for you. And so basically it was like a non-foreclosed foreclosure where they just took it. And I was upside down at that point because the market had turned a little bit. And so that wasn't any of the other properties, but that one would have just, I was going to have to sell something. I couldn't get another loan because of being sick. I didn't have an income, whatever. It was so beautiful. It was like, what a relationship. So, so the thing about that story that's so beautiful is that you had relationship with him and he wanted you to succeed. He did. And, and we had other, he helped you. We had other interests together. Yeah, and so it's easy for him to help me with the wine because he want, you're right. He wanted me to succeed. Yeah, and, and you're, so much. you're in this amazing partnership, and God answers this deep need that you have with this incredible miracle of yeah. this practical miracle. And these are things that we don't talk about. These practical Absolutely. miracles, like okay, the guy's foot grew, or his he's got sight to his eyes, or he was raised from the dead. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm not demeaning that at all. No, I know you love those things. I love, the, but, but people who are watching miracles. like there's. Like the, I want to tell, I want to end this with this story because right. it's one of it's it's kind of my favorite Bob business story. When you had to go in and negotiate for the money that was owed, and and God gave you very specific instructions on what not to do, which was basically you couldn't talk. But you tell us. I we were just finishing a project. We had a, a mediation session on a Wednesday. The reason I know that is because we had home group on Tuesday night. Okay. I had through Bible roulette ended up on uh, Jehoshaphat, oh. and the story of of uh, the armies attacking from two sides him not knowing what to do so he just sang yeah right and and the armies the armies the end of the story is the armies turned on each other killed each other they went down and plundered so the next morning the, uh, i was supposed to meet my team in san diego but i had him meet me you know an hour and a half up and i drove and sang with jesus culture so instead of meeting with my team in san diego I just drove and worshiped the Lord, and he started speaking to me that when I got to this meeting, I, I wasn't to say a word. And they owed you money, or? Millions. Millions. This yeah. is a big deal. I remember. Yeah. I just asked you for everybody. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a lot was on the table. A lot was on the table. And I thought, this is ludicrous. This can't be the Lord. And so I was, how do you worship and argue at the same time <laughs> with the Lord? But that's what I was doing, and I, I got convinced that, you know, this is what he wanted me to do. And I have to say, in my company, no one else talks, really. They're all detail people, and they're brilliant at what they do. But I am the negotiator. I am the guy, the mediator. I'm yeah. the one who normally at these meetings, I'll go set the table. You know, here's what our claim is, and this is what we're asking for, and this is the facts behind it. Well, I was convinced that, you know, this is what the Lord wanted me to do. So when we got in the car, they started a meeting prep, and I said, guys, told them this whole story. And so they started arguing, like, you can't not talk. 
<laughs> I can't imagine. I mean, they're they are arguing. It's like, do you know how you much? Do you know how much? You know, is at stake. And I was like, trust me. Yeah, I know how much is at stake. So we got into the, we got into this. You know, there's twenty people, lawyers, uh, contractors, owners, representatives, and us. Wow. And before we even sat down, this guy said, "Okay, let's get to the detail." And so for two hours, I sat and watched my team discuss details. This man at the end of the table stood up and he said, Bob, come with me. Come to my office. We're going to get this done. So I, I took, you know, I, I had a, I had some piece of paper and a pencil and pen. I walked back through this maze uh, to his office and he sat down sort of facing his computer and he had a calculator and he was looking at his computer and he's not looking at me and he's doing this with a calculator and he says, You haven't said hi. You haven't said anything. I haven't said a word. <laughs> and he says, okay, Bob, I'm willing to offer you this which was much, which wasn't acceptable. So I thought, I started writing. Now out of the corner of my eye, I see him sort of look at me, but he's still like this and I don't say anything. And he, he says, okay, I don't care what you say. I, this is my last offer. I'm going to offer you this. So I thought, hmm, being the good Jewish boy that I am, maybe I'll just do this again. And so I started writing and I don't know if I was writing in tongues or not. Maybe I was. Yeah. Uh, and I see him out of the corner of his eye doing this again. And he says, he stands up. This is my final offer. And he throws this number down that's more than what we wanted. <laughs> wow. And so I just looked at him and stuck out my hand. And as he's, I, as he's walking out the door, he shakes my hand. <laughs> and, and he says, come on. And we go back to the conference room. And he says, okay, we're done. You, you guys need to do this, this, and this. Get the paperwork done. Get him, we're going to get him paid in a week. That's amazing. And then they ushered us out. And so this is a really cool business story, right? It's a practical miracle. God did all this stuff. But as I thought about it on the way home, the Lord said to me, Bob, I've given you this incredible ability to understand people, have discernment, to be able to negotiate and mediate. But I want you to know the gifts for me. Mm. And I want you to know that I, I just wanted to show you what I can do. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And I just felt so cared for yeah. personally. So this was a you know a business miracle yeah people love the story but for me personally it just showed me you know how much god loves me. yeah i think that's how i want to end this interview just kind of highlighting together just how much you are depending on your relationship with god your real 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 relationship not just the gift of prophecy or whatever but your real relationship with god your ability to be led or nudged by god one of the things i love about this is that you and i are going after people being able to really connect their relationship with god in a real way that of course, there's those moments where you just, you know, share that story. It's so profound. But it starts with the daily. It starts with just walking with God, with the nudging of the Holy Spirit, with the Word, with, with resources, with building a team, with including people in your life, with maintaining connection, all these things. And so I really love your perspective. I think you bring so much to business leaders and also church leaders because you help them to stay connected. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really profound. Like, I love the book Business of Honor. Um, I love that you're writing another book on this, this whole other thing that we started to unpack. But there's something just in you as that's that's uh, impartational when someone's with you, and I'm so glad we're doing these events together because I feel like people are going to get this dose of Bob, where you actually bring culture and it changes the way people think. Your atmosphere. So I'm so grateful your atmosphere. I'm so grateful people get to have what Sri and I have experienced from you, and what our teams and some of our favorite churches have experienced from you, and some of our favorite businesses have, and now we get to do that together in the whole world. So thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah. 
I wrote a free ebook for you. It's called Prophecies, Prayers, and Declarations for the New Year. And it also has a biblical viewpoint of how to look at your year. And there's a number of other things like quotes and poetry. But I want to just read a little section of the prophecy for the new year. And this is from God. I created time to serve you. It is my resource to you. I can reveal my love day upon day, moment upon moment. Before I ever created you, I dreamed of you for an eternity. There are so many things I put inside you that will find more expression and placement this year. I have talent, skills, relationships, resources, ministries, projects, and purposes all to be revealed in this coming year that will show you the depth of my love for you. There's a lot more to this prophecy, and I'm going to encourage you. All you have to do to get the whole free ebook, it's a beautifully laid out ebook, is by clicking on bowlsministries.com forward slash connect, putting in your email address, and we will send it to you right away. Thank you so much, and have a happy holidays and wonderful new year. Thanks for listening to Exploring the Prophetic Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Bowles. I want to encourage you to stay involved with us. Continue the conversation online by going to our Facebook page. Sean Bowles is our Facebook public address. Also, you can visit us at www.bowlesministries.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure to subscribe to it. It's Exploring the Prophetic with Sean Bowles.